Some days are really hard because you're doing everything without much help and being criticized in small but hurtful ways. Actually, a few days ago, I had broken rest for three days and I went to have lunch. And my mom said, it's good you have help because some people do everything alone and manage a job as well. It triggered something in me and I just had a raw meltdown. My husband had to come home after an exhausting day to a room that looked like it was hit by a tsunami and the wife was holding two babies and watching Cocomelon in the dark. You just heard Watmi Fernando give a tiny window into her life as a mother in a multi-generational household. She's the child of migrant workers, an architect by profession, and most recently, a mother of three under two. She has an 18-month-old daughter and four-month-old twins. Until a few months ago, she lived in a house with four generations of women. Her maternal grandmother, her mother, herself and her daughter. Her life gives a whole new meaning to the term working mother. On each episode of The Darkest Light, I talk to mothers about their journey through pregnancy, childbirth and parenting. These are the stories you don't often hear the ones women aren't encouraged to tell. These are the stories I wish I had heard before deciding to become a mother. They're out there, floating around in scraps and whispers. This podcast is an attempt to gather the pieces. I'm your host, Kanya Dialmeda. Thanks for joining me. From the moment I became a mother, I had very conflicted feelings about the labor involved in childcare. I've had many jobs in my life. I've worked night shifts, I've cleaned houses. At one stage, I was an unpaid intern, a trade union volunteer, and an underpaid journalist all at once. But the business of looking after a newborn quickly became the hardest thing I've ever done. I had a lot of help. My mother moved in with me, I employed two domestic workers, and my partner is a stay-at-home father who is extremely hands-on when it comes to childcare. From such a position of almost obscene privilege, I felt terribly guilty expressing what a toll early motherhood was taking on me. And there was something else, too. My paternal grandmother, my party, was an absolute hero when it came to bringing up children. She had 11 kids and then lost her husband when her youngest child, my father, was just three years old. She raised that vast family solo, a task that called for sheer hard work. It should have been a source of strength for me, but it felt more like a burden, a legacy that I could never live up to. And anytime anyone mentioned her in those early days of motherhood, I felt like a colossal failure. It made me very curious how other women navigated the matter of labor and love and legacy. Sri Lankans love to talk about how other people have it worse or manage with less or do it all. Those sentiments can be so unhelpful for a new mother. So I sent a little message in a bottle out into the Instagram universe asking people for their thoughts on this subject, for their stories. A few responses trickled in, but nothing that sparked a longer discussion. And then I got a message from Watmi. I had to stop going to work and start working from home because we live with our parents and they were not too happy about having a nanny. Even though they said they could handle the baby, I knew it would be very difficult. 
now I do most of the kids work in the morning and end up doing my professional work after my husband comes home and everyone goes to sleep. No hello, no goodbye, just that paragraph. And I thought, wait, what? Why didn't her parents want a nanny in the house? How did she manage to be a full-time mother during the day and a professional architect at night? I had so many questions. I wrote back and she replied. And this exchange eventually led to me asking personal and quite intimate questions about her life and her childhood. And each time I fired them off into the void, I was worried that Bakmi would say, you know what, random Instagram lady, I'm not telling you anything more. But she never said that. She just kept writing back. And I began to piece together a narrative of labor and love and how the work of motherhood changes over time. Watmi was raised at different times by both of her grandmothers. She herself learned mothering early. She became her younger brother's caregiver when she was just nine years old. Until a few months ago, her mother was the primary caregiver to her 90-year-old, nearly bedridden grandmother. When her daughter was born, Watmi refused to choose between career and childcare. Instead, she did both. At one point, Watmi stopped responding to me and I thought, that's it, I've scared her away. Then she popped back up in my inbox saying, the twins arrived a few days ago. No big deal, just took a few days off to give birth to two babies. And a little while later, she wrote to tell me her grandmother, who'd raised her, had passed away. I felt like I was watching this beautiful reel unfold like a film before my eyes of this woman's life. I could never finish scripting the episode because she kept experiencing these monumental changes. The essence of the story, though, has stayed the same. This too shall pass. Because of COVID and our concern for her newborn babies, we couldn't record this episode together. What you're about to hear is an audio essay stitched together through months of email exchanges, Instagram messages, and a lot of trust between two strangers. In fact, you might hear a baby crying or a dog barking in the background. That's because Bakmi had to record this interview while lying on a mat surrounded by her three sleeping babies in the middle of the day in those precious few moments of time she gets to call her own. My parents worked in the Middle East. I was only three when we left Sri Lanka and Mali. My younger brother was only six months. Now I can't imagine what my mom went through living almost in isolation. Because the Qatar of 30 years ago was a very different place. My father worked shifts and she worked in the house 24-7. When she was nine and her brother was six, her parents made the decision to send them back to Sri Lanka so that they could reduce the financial strain on schooling and also save up for the kids' higher education. I grew up with my dad's mom, who was a most strict maternal woman, even though she gave birth to seven kids. My uncle, who was in his early 20s when Mali and I returned to Sri Lanka, was the savior of the day. We only spoke English at the time, so my paternal grandma spoke only Sinhala. Uh, he only bridged the gap and made life a bit more bearable. From a very young age, Watmi learned to be pretty independent and fend for herself. The year was 1999. She said there was no phone in her grandmother's house, so they had to go across to the neighbors when her parents would call. 
and she remembers one time her mother saying that they were allowed to go to Qatar during the April holidays and she just bawled as a kid out of sheer joy. My joy was short-lived though. I had to take on the role of a caregiver at the age of nine and watch out for my six-year-old brother. I honestly can't remember much of that stage but I do remember that in the night when he was in bed he would usually start crying and after he went to sleep I would too. It was funny at one stage I had to go for parent-teacher meetings to check on my brother's progress and report it back to my parents. So there was always this invisible mental load that came with my parents' words. Take care of Mali. Eventually, her parents decided to take her brother back to Qatar with them. And from then on, she was basically an only child. She says she didn't question their decision or argue with them. She just accepted the situation for what it was. One thing my mom used to do when we were together in Qatar was read us a Bible story, sing a few Sunday school songs and pray. Back in Sri Lanka on my own as a nine-year-old, I continued to do this. I used to place a table lamp so that there would be a bigger shadow on the wall and pretend there was someone there with me listening. I don't remember much. It was so depressing that I think I have permanently deleted most of it from my memory. A few years later, her mother's parents were retiring from their jobs on an estate in Hatton, so she left her paternal grandmother and moved in with them. It wasn't quite the same as being with her nuclear family, but it was an improvement. For one thing, the language. My maternal grandmother was fluent in all three languages. Also, before we left to Qatar, we lived with them on their estate, so she felt more familiar, if you know what I mean. And even though she was strict in certain ways, she is still mummy. This made the house feel more like home, even though it was rented, and the food tasted better and the soul felt lighter. Fast forward a few decades. Watmi grew up, got married, and soon she was ready to start a family of her own. Her parents had moved back from Qatar in 2015, but she wanted to live with her husband alone, embark on an adventure rather than being under one roof with so many generations. So she and her husband rented a small place. But then her grandfather passed away and she realized that the rest of her family was kind of depressed living in that big old house alone. So she and her husband moved back in to help out. Watmi describes her own mother as a workaholic. Not only was she caring for Watmi's elderly grandmother, which was a physically taxing job, she insisted on doing all of the other housework herself. Seeing how overloaded her mother was already, when Watmi found out she was pregnant, she didn't ask for help. She made all the arrangements for the birth and postpartum period by herself, all while working a pretty demanding job. I'm a chartered architect by profession and I was pretty much driving till the last day and was going to site everywhere and climbing places that I shouldn't have been climbing, but I absolutely loved my job. It was my second family. She had intended to keep working right up until her due date, but she had developed IUGR, or intrauterine growth restriction, a condition in which a baby is not as big as would be expected for the mother's stage of pregnancy. She went into work on Friday and said, see you guys on Monday, but on Saturday her doctor decided to operate. 
She still remembers getting up at three in the morning to send off work emails about her pending projects when she was due to be admitted to hospital at 7 a.m. that same day and operated on at nine. I was pretty insistent that I would return to work after three months, but boy, was I wrong. Bringing baby home on the first day was one of the worst days of my life. I remember everything. There was a curfew because of the Easter tax, which was still fresh. Everyone was joking, saying I had put on weight, but it was actually a very painful combination of gas and constipation after the c-section. The painkillers were off because the hospital took way too long to discharge me. My husband and I were exhausted. I came home to a room that was hot and stuffy because it didn't have proper ventilation at the time and the windows were closed because of all the mosquitoes. I just put the baby in the cot, told my husband I couldn't breathe and I felt so suffocated. I collapsed on the bed, exhausted. Life with a newborn is tough at the best of times. Postpartum can be an emotional roller coaster. But in addition to the usual challenges of this time, Watmi faced a unique problem that not every mother confronts. She had to negotiate her relationship with her parents. They hadn't been present for much of her childhood. But now, as grandparents... They were suddenly in her face in a way that she didn't quite know how to handle. All of a sudden, my parents and others who hardly spoke to me were telling me what to do and what not to do as a 30-year-old. Like advice on literally everything from mosquitoes to bathing the baby to washing nappies and feeding. Since I was so used to being alone, all this attention and advice was really overwhelming. I wasn't sure if my hormones were going crazy or if everyone else was just being super annoying. I was the one doing most of the baby's work and the pressure to breastfeed was nuts because the baby was underweight and even though I was told to give her formula as a top-up, she hated it. Thank God for all the nurses and the matrons at the hospital who literally taught me everything because I had no expert help at home and my husband had to continuously work. Her own needs were being completely brushed aside because her parents were entirely focused on the baby. All her actions as a mother were under a microscope, yet she as a person had become invisible. As her parents continued to bombard her with unsolicited advice, she retreated. Some days were just full of tears. I would be locked up in a room alone till my husband came home because even though my dad was trying to help I didn't want it and I didn't like it I guess from my childhood I had built up so many protective layers to be okay to be strong and independent that asking for help or needing help made me feel vulnerable and a bother Also, I was feeding constantly because the baby was underweight and refused to drink formula. So I would get on Netflix and Duolingo and just watch the hours pass by. I asked her to take me through an average day during those early months of motherhood. And it went something like this. She'd be up at five in the morning grabbing a quick breakfast. 
By six, she was sorting laundry and soaking soiled nappies in boiling water. There might be time for a cup of coffee before she had to feed and change the baby. Next, she'd attend to her C-section cut, then more laundry. By now, the sun was up, so she'd give the baby her prescribed sunshine time, and then a bath, vitamins, feeding, 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 more feeding, more changing, cleaning the room, cleaning the bathroom. All the while, she was trying so hard to avoid interactions with her parents that when it came to her own meal times, she'd literally run down to the kitchen, throw food in a bowl, and run back upstairs to eat alone in her room. And then she'd sit there, with her daughter in her lap, along with a few little toys or a rattle, waiting for her husband to get home. Dinner was the only time of day she'd relinquish her daughter into her parents' care, but again, only for as long as it took to have a speedy dinner with her husband. Then she'd return to the room and lock the door. At the end of it all, around half past ten in the night, she'd start her professional work and sometimes go on until past three in the morning, feeding the baby in between if she woke up. That gave her a grand total of two hours of sleep before it was time to start the whole routine over again. Being trained as an architect, I hadn't slept in 10 years, so that part was easy. Also, being pretty organized, almost OCD-ish as a person really helped because between being super lonely and getting continuous comments and always made me feel like I wasn't doing enough, I thought I would lose my mind, but I'm still here and I'm kind of sane. (laughs) She and her husband toyed with the idea of hiring help, either a nanny or a caregiver for her grandmother, which would free up her mother's time to help out with the baby. But Watmi couldn't bring herself to do that. I felt my parents were uncomfortable with having an outsider in the house. And I was envisioning things being a nightmare, working a nine-to-five job, coming home to unpleasantness. And I don't know, maybe it's their age or the fact that they needed the privacy. Plus, I hate conflict. Though they never discussed it, Watmi knew that her mother was working at full capacity taking care of her grandmother, who Watmi affectionately calls Nurse Mummy. She also calls her grandfather Daddy or Dr. Daddy, owing to the couple's career as medical professionals. Caregiving for the elderly is not an easy task at all. For a baby at least, the cuteness factor is involved. But with an adult, it's an absolute labor of love with the same task as taking care of a baby. The pampers, bathing, feeding, administration of medication, all of it. My grandma used to be absolutely independent and a tough cookie, putting everyone in their place. She was the one who took care of me and Mali even as teenagers. But after daddy passed on four years ago, my grandma kind of let go. She can walk with an aid, but after having a stroke, she is scheduled for So other than for a few special occasions, she is mostly in bed. So just before her maternity leave was over, she made the choice not to go back to a job. She says when she had to weigh the pros and cons, she realized that five to six hours on the road, missing milestones of her baby and having to deal with parents who would be exhausted and overwhelmed 
was just too much. I guess the fact that I was kind of raised by grandparents and domestics made my decision easier because I wanted to be close to my daughter. I knew it would be a sacrifice. I would have zero source of income. But when I look at things now, I know I made the correct decision. As time wore on, Watmi started shedding some of her reservations about her parents. After a few months, I started getting out of the room and giving my dad some control of the baby, like rocking her to sleep or carrying her around the house. And my mom would wait for dinner time to carry and talk to the baby for a few minutes. The warmth of her hands would always end up in Avi falling asleep while me and my husband had dinner. I started to realize that my parents had sacrificed a huge part of their lives to educate us and did what they thought was right. It was a step that I had to take to remove some long-standing barriers that I had built up to protect my own heart. Now I hear them talking sometimes and I hear my dad saying, I never got to play with my children like this. And he does it with so much joy and spends hours with Avi. I remember the first time he carried Avi on a pillow in the hospital with shivering hands and his face just lit up and he would say, I have never carried a baby so small. And he was amazing now that I recall. He would knock on my door early morning and ask for all the cloth nappies, sit in their bathroom, boil hot water, wash the poo separately, wash all the nappies, dry them, iron and fold them in pure excellence. Apparently this is what he did when I was born too because he wasn't allowed to do anything else. It's an ongoing journey for everyone in the household and it's not always smooth sailing. There are bumps in the road that have to be navigated on a daily basis. Some days are really hard because you're doing everything without much help and being criticized in small but hurtful ways. Actually, a few days ago, I had broken rest for three days and I went to have lunch. And my mom said, it's good you have help because some people do everything alone and manage a job as well. It triggered something in me and I just had a raw meltdown. My husband had to come home after an exhausting day to a room that looked like it was hit by a tsunami and a wife was holding two babies and watching Cocomelon in the dark. Later, her mother explained she hadn't really meant anything by her comment. She was just remarking that in her time, she did a lot on her own. And it's true. When she was pregnant with Bakmi's younger brother, she would travel by bus from Hatton to Colombo for her prenatal clinic appointments. She left at 3 in the morning and took the bus back that evening, a 10 or 12-hour round trip. A lot of women I've talked to hear similar stories from the previous generation about how hard it was back then and how women did so much without much help and without complaint. I sometimes found those anecdotes infuriating because they seemed designed to belittle my own experience. I started to block them out. Luckily for Vatmi, Things didn't turn sour between her and her mother. Instead, things came full circle in a really touching way. My mom was trained as a Montessori teacher. And a few months back, with the COVID cleaning, I resurrected her books, which are about 30 years old, and thought they were awesome to use with Avi. 
we may not see eye to eye on certain things but for an outsider we are almost like the same person her being strong in her own subtle way of loving and doing so much for her family has only pushed me to be strong too i have always wanted three kids because i felt that things would have been different if i had another brother or sister all the loneliness i faced as a child has really influenced my parenting style because i don't ever want my kids to feel so lonely or not have anyone to talk to they'll probably think i'm a real pain as they grow up but that's okay i'm still learning a lot and i had to have my own little girls to understand who my parents were and the sacrifices they have made which i most probably would not have had the strength to do it's only because of their sacrifice i am able to stay at home with my kids and continue my professional work so for that i am eternally grateful when her twins were born right in the middle of our correspondence i tried to lay off and give her some space we didn't speak for a few months and then i got the following message which i think is the perfect final thought to leave you with just wanted to say thank you i didn't think i would open up so much but what i told you made me realize how far we can push ourselves when the need arises i am a very private person and only very few people know what i have been through but i have begun to realize that if my story can give someone some courage to face the day especially new moms who are totally unprepared for motherhood like i was and end up thinking something is wrong with them i want to tell them it's going to be okay you can get through this life is not a baby commercial that brings us to the end of season 1 thank you so much to everyone who joined me this season i started this podcast because i truly feel that stories can heal When I was floundering in my new life as a mother, I became a glutton for stories about motherhood. I went in search of books, podcasts, documentaries, films, social media accounts, anything that helped me escape my own reality. Hearing how other mothers navigated this world, how they came undone and put themselves back together, kind of saved me from drowning. It was the stories that brought me back. And so I hope these stories have resonated with you. I'll be back soon with more episodes, including stories from women who experienced obstetric violence while giving birth, testimonies from traditional midwives across Sri Lanka, and one piece about a very brave mother who refused electroshock therapy as a treatment for postpartum depression. So stay tuned. If you'd like me to feature your story on this podcast, drop me a line. the darkest light podcast at gmail.com none of the information contained in this podcast should be considered medical advice if you have questions about your health or your child's health please contact a medical professional you can also check our bio for links and resources to learn more about our show follow us on instagram at the darkest light podcast and remember to click subscribe the darkest light is produced by devana senanayaka Music is by Kriti, mixing and mastering by Zainab Wahid.